0: Welcome to the America First War Room. I'm your host, American Greatness Chairman Jim Renese. Tonight, I want to welcome the host of Always Right Radio on WHK 1420 in Cleveland, Ohio on the Salem Media Network, Bob France. I'm happy to have a good friend, Bob France, on with us today. Uh, And Bob, uh, we've talked enough over the years I was in Congress. Uh, we had agreements and disagreements, but we're always able to come to the same conclusion in many cases that what's best for America is smaller government, limited government, less taxes, all of those policies that I think are important. So I'm happy to have you on the show tonight.
1: Well, I appreciate being here. I'm equal parts honored and confused because I don't know what I have to add to any conversation. I'm the question asker, not the answerer. So, uh, if you're looking for answers from me, I'll do my very best. But you're right. Obviously we have, we've been talking for oh, about eight years now since I started my current show. And I was even a, a guest at the, uh, uh, the uh, state of the union address and uh, i 've always been honored to be able to talk politics with you talk society with you, talk about how to keep as your program is called america first and that's what i'm that 's what I'm excited to do
0: I appreciate that and again we are on the uh, we are the america first war room we 're going to be talking not only people in the state of Ohio but people nationally uh, and a uh, lot of a su- lot of topics a lot of subjects and what we appreciate from you Bob is that you know you're talking to people too so i want to uh get your perspective you have the the radio show where you're listening and talking to others uh, so that's what we're looking for but let's get started uh let's face it Fauci is back uh, he and uh, is talking covid he's uh he's actually being deposed in a number of lawsuits uh he's talking about the pandemic and let's face it uh president Biden said the pandemic is over yet uh Fauci says it isn't Talking about masks and mandates, we have the Chinese who are actually now uh, protesting. Many of the people in China over the shutdowns, lockdowns. Uh, what are your thoughts? What are you hearing? Uh, what do you think?
1: Well, you know, he he's back and he's talking, but he isn't. Um, according to the records, not the official transcripts of the um, uh, of the deposition for the lawsuit that's been filed against him by the attorneys general in in Missouri and uh, Louisiana. He had nothing to say over seven hours he couldn't recall his own statements about masking and about you know lockdowns about social distancing and about the severity and all of those other things he couldn't recall those things according to what um, uh, you know we're being told by landry and uh and Schmidt in in those two states um, so it is kind of interesting how he's t- trying to cover his tracks he also for two years plus has been steadfast in his belief that. This was not born of a, of a lab. This wasn't, you know, this virus didn't escape from a lab in Wuhan, that it was probably organic. It was probably something from, you know, the, you know, the bat to the, to the pangolin to the this, that, the other ended up in a soup in, uh, in Wuhan, China. And now suddenly he's saying, I'm very open-minded about it. I'm not sure where it came from, but I'm open to the possibility that it could have come from, uh, from a lab. So I think he's been trying to CYA, you know, the old cover your behind thing, uh, the entire time and as far as what's going on, yeah, I mean, for this guy to continue to try to espouse the same types of um responses to COVID now or what might be a COVID season in the same way that we have a flu season is terrifying. And Jim, it's why I know you joined a lot of people, myself included, in pushing for um, you know, medical freedom uh, uh legislation in Ohio and around the country so that you know, what was very, very specific in some of the uh, things that they were agreeable to, and for example, in the Ohio General Assembly is, you know, a specific COVID-related response. But what many legislators and what I push for, and I'm still pushing for, is an overall, quote, health emergency legislation that says we cannot shut down businesses arbitrarily based on what some somebody like an Amy Acton or a Mike DeWine or anybody else decides is essential versus non-essential. We cannot shut down our schools and we cannot force people to take jabs or lose jobs um, if in any future health emergency because we all know there's something else coming. It isn't COVID. It's going to be the next thing down the line. And, um, so when I see what's going on in China, since you brought that up and the massive protests against the, the, you know, the new clampdowns there, I'm worried about what might be in the future here. Whether it's a new variant of COVID that they use, you know, that Fauci and others use, or whether it's a new health emergency that they call it, that they're, we're not going to have any more protections against the things that crushed us uh, last time in the future either. And that's what worries me.
0: Well, and what's interesting, too, Bob, uh, as I talk to some national media outlets when I'm on the radio, national radio shows, they don't realize that we actually suffered through that in Ohio. They keep thinking it was only New York and California. I have to remind them that in Ohio, Governor Dwine actually shut down our state. We still have businesses that have never recovered. He shut down our, you know, we had our schools go back uh, to where they were, you know, teaching from home, all of those things. So we have firsthand knowledge in Ohio, of exactly what happens with shutdowns, lockdowns, masking mandates. We even had, as you remember, the uh, vaccine million, uh, where we were you would get a million dollars if you got vaccinations. All of these crazy things were scholarships. The yeah, everything, and uh, and nationally, people aren't aware that we've lived it. Well, we lived it, and, you know, 4,000 Ohio
1: business owners are still living it because their businesses were shut down and never to be reopened. Uh, that doesn't mean the government ordered them closed forever, but when you take away their livelihood and their ability to generate revenue for a few months, they cannot recover. It's, too, it's been two and a half years now since, you know, the uh, the beginning of this whole thing in March of 2020, and there are still businesses clinging on, holding on by the skin of their teeth to their businesses. They're still in the red, but they're, they're able to stay operational while their capital, they hope their capital starts to be replenished and they start to become more profitable. But, but Jim, how many, how many Ohio workers lost their jobs when their businesses closed forever, the, the places for which they worked closed forever? And then how about those people, those business owners, mom and pop shops, because you know who survived? You know, the Home Depot survived, Best Buy survived, Giant Eagle, Walmart, the big corporations survived because they've got the, the ability to do so. But all of the mom and pop shops where people put their whole life savings into it or took out big capital loans or whatever it is to hang out their own shingles, start their own business and do well for 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years. And suddenly here comes Mike DeWine pulling the plug on their non-essential businesses. And then they couldn't, they just didn't have the, you know, the wherewithal to stay open. And they're gone forever. So, yeah, we suffered in Ohio, you know, in in many of the same ways that New York and California and other places did, but sometimes in different ways. And um, for people to think that we just escaped, uh, uh, you know, unscathed, uh, you know, the way Florida and a lot of other places did that had much better leadership is just
0: not true. Well, let's hope that uh, Fauci and his gang do not uh, push uh, the Biden administration to these lockdowns and shutdowns, because we already know what'll happen based on our experiences in Ohio and nationally as well. But let's, uh, let's turn a little bit now to inflation. Uh, this weekend, of course, we had uh, Black Friday. Media outlets are saying that uh, sales are down. Uh, citizens are saying that the prices were too high. People aren't buying. Uh, we also have this pent up, uh, these pent up dollars in many cities and counties and even our state has where they're going to continue to spend because they have COVID dollars. Inflation's not going away. Uh and and then of course, you know, we have the Fed trying to raise interest rates way too late, trying to bring inflation down. So we still have a mess, but a lot of it deals with this spending spree that Biden has put on us causing the inflation. What are you hearing about, you know, this weekend spending inflation? What are some of your listeners saying as well?
1: Well, you know what? Um, <clears throat> We we experienced the same thing everybody else did on Thanksgiving, and that is a much more expensive holiday. Uh, and I saw the numbers, and you know the the people who do this thing for a living looked at the average price of turkey, the average price of potatoes, and and so on and so forth. And the average American spent between twenty and twenty five dollars more to put that meal on the table this past Thursday, um, you know, than they did a year the year the year before. You don't think that's going to extend into holiday shopping, into Christmas shopping, into gifts, as you say on Black Friday? And to, uh, on Cyber Monday today as well, of course it is. People just don't have as much. You got to remember two things. Number one, the prices are higher, and number two, the wages are stagnant. That's what the the Biden you know administration has brought us. And you brought up the Fed trying to, uh, you know, recover this a little bit and try to recover from the inflation by raising the rates, and that's creating a mortgage crisis. You know, you used to be able to get a good solid mortgage, you know, just, you know, six, eight, 10, 12, well, maybe a little bit longer ago, kind of right before Biden came in, you know, you get a good, get a really good mortgage, a fixed mortgage rate of uh, three and a half, four percent. And now it's up to six, six and a half, seven, eight percent. That is just, you know, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars more over the life of a mortgage that people are going to have to pay just to try to correct, uh, what Biden did with his radical spending. So, if I'm looking for, you know, it's the season of goodwill and the season of positivity, right, because it's the Christmas season now and the holiday season, uh, you know, it's the fact that we did take the House back. And while they're not going to be able to do a whole lot legislative, you know that, you know how, bro, that's why you get out of Washington as broken as it is, but they're not going to be able to do much with the gridlock, but the even slim majority that they have in the House allows them to put the brakes in some of the radical spending bills. It allows them to have some sort of a a check on on, on what Biden's out of control first two years have been over the course of his next two years. So I'm very encouraged by that. And I'm going to hope that maybe that uh, brings us at least back to a little bit of fiscal sanity. And hopefully those prices start to go down a little bit.
0: Yeah, while we're on that, uh, we see the Defense Marriage Act uh, now probably going to get passed in the Senate, definitely gonna get passed in the House and signed uh, signed by President Biden. That's something that would have not happened uh, if the House had even one uh, Republican more. Maybe not, I shouldn't say that because really for the for that act to even get passed, they had to convince nine or 10 or 11 Republican senators to, uh, to vote for it in the Senate. And yeah. it, it appears they're going to do that. So um, hopefully, this gets us back to some sanity with us taking back the house, even though it's a slim, slim majority. Well,
1: yeah, and you know, I, you may more know more about it than I do. Um, I, I know that there were some differences in the two bills, the Respect for Marriage Act, on the Senate side and on the House side. And this, the House side, I think actually provided some protections for religious freedom uh, and some protections for freedom of speech that the Senate's version did not. So I don't know. If they have already you know had that you know had that consolidation of the bills and, and 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 worked out and marked it up to 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 add those protections or not, but I do know that earlier today. Um, I was on the radio and a lot of other people have been as well urging Rob Portman and urging about, you know, all we need is two or three senators are needed. And at the time of, uh, you know, that we're on here, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure exactly where it stands, but we needed just one or two of them to not vote for cloture. And, and that stops this thing from getting rammed through in this lame duck Congress. And that's what really needs to happen. And it's not even about gay marriage or same sex marriage as it were. It's about two things. Religious liberty and Mike Lee offered an amendment. And I, again, I don't know where it sits, but uh, it's about religious liberty and it's about freedom of speech. Because what this does is it completely eliminates the, the freedom of the individual, either because of faith or just conscience, um, unless they are actually working for a religious institution. It doesn't follow them into their private lives. So if you, if you work, say, for a church, or 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 a synagogue or for anything that may say you know I, we don't we don't believe in this we believe what the biblical definition of one man one woman and and you run a business and that business provides services potentially for weddings you will not be protected under this law from from uh, from not wanting to to participate in this you can be sued and in fact this this Respect for Marriage Act on the Senate side as I understand it, allows for the Attorney General of the United States or just the Justice Department to actually come after people civilly if they don't participate in these services, ceremonies, etc. So we're literally talking about forced and coerced speech. And of course, if it happens to be you know, your faith that prohibits you from wanting to do this, now we're talking about religious liberty as well. And that's the danger of this. It's so far beyond same-sex marriage. It's just about our constitutional First Amendment rights.
0: agree. And you know, it's funny, back in 2015, and I know when I was um, in the race for governor, that this came up many times, but I was actually pushing amendment with 60 some uh, Republicans to make sure religious freedoms were uh, protected. And of course, a lot of people don't realize that even when that amendment failed and that bill failed, so did the protection for religious freedom. So these are the consequences. That's supposed to be sacrosanct.
1: I mean, that, I mean, is there anything more important than that, honestly, in the entire Bill of Rights than the First Amendment, and in particular, the first tenet mentioned of those five, and that is the freedom to practice religion as you see fit. You can't be forced to either give up your religious beliefs or, or violate them because somebody else says so.
0: Yeah, and quickly, I know this wasn't one of the topics we were, were going into, but Kevin McCarthy's probably only going to have a seven, eight-seat majority. When I was in Congress... Uh, Boehner and Paul Ryan had a 30 seat majority. And even that was tough to get things accomplished. Uh, what are you hearing, what are your thoughts? A small majority gives you the power to stop things, but it also doesn't give you the power to completely stop things if seven or eight or 10 Republicans switch over. And remember, in our house, we're gonna have the moderate caucus and we're gonna have the freedom caucus. So there's gonna be infighting on both sides. I think the moderate caucus today uh, last I saw, is about fifty people. The Freedom Caucus is about forty people. Uh, Kevin McCarthy is going to have his hands full.
1: Yeah, um, we're we're a divided party. You know, I hate to say it, but you know what the left tried to exploit um, in the midterms was successful, and they tried to divide the MAGA Republicans from the you know establishment Republicans or the Rhino Republicans, as some people call them, or the uh, you know the the deep state Republicans. There's a division there. There's no doubt about it. Um, I have a big problem with that, and, and so will Kevin McCarthy. I am an America first, so I love your name, your, your, your podcast. I'm an America first Republican. That, that, that doesn't mean MAGA. I am MAGA too, but that means I am devoted to not the leader of the MAGA movement by name. Uh, it's not singular devotion to Donald Trump. It's a devotion to what he started which is making America great again and putting Americans first. I believe in that very very deeply, and very very sincerely. And the fact that President Trump, who is polarizing to say the least, is the face of that half of it has created a massive schism in the party. So you're right. Um, Kevin Kevin is going to have a lot of work to do trying to bring the freedom, you know, freedom caucus and the, you know, the more moderate caucus together and you just said it. If it's a seven- or eight-seat majority, they're not all going to be in lockstep with one another because the one thing I think that Republicans have that is a it's a blessing and a curse is independence of thought. They're not groupthink slaves the way I think the Democrat Party is. And I like that about us. I like that about conservatives. But it can be a curse because you're not going to get everybody going along. You just said it yourself when you talked about the Respect for Marriage Act on the Senate side. They need 11 or 12 Republicans out of, you know, the the 50 that there are in the Senate and they got them. So if you don't think they're going to be able to get, you know, six or seven or eight, uh, Republicans on the house side, depending on the nature of the legislation to flip over, you know, they they certainly are going to do that. And it's going to create a very difficult time for, for Kevin McCarthy, no doubt.
0: Well, and remember in the house, they already did, uh, pass, as you said, Mm -hmm. uh, their version and they did get, uh, a number of Republicans to cross over and vote for it too. So it'll be interesting to see where this all ends up, but, uh, Let's uh, let's change gears and talk about the Tea Party. You know, in, in 20, 2009, the Tea Party was formed, and, and I was actually a business guy at that time, fed up with the government, fed up with what the government was doing, fed up with the spending. And at that time, we had debt of only $10 trillion. And the Tea Party really was rallying around debt. We have to stop the debt. We have to stop the spending. We have to stop all of this uh, government overreach, government spending. And that's where the Tea Party was formed and that's where it came from. And in 2010, a wave of us, including myself, went to Washington and said, we're gonna stop this madness. Problem is, 12 years later, our debt's at 31 trillion, nobody seems to be paying attention to spending. And quite frankly, I even did to post on my Facebook account that even during Donald Trump's eight years, uh, spending was growing rapidly um, and, it's a real issue because spending and debt really causes inflation. It also um, adds to our children and grandchildren's burden. It's a unfunded future tax, which we used to always talk about, but now we don't seem to see even Republicans talking about it anymore. I want to get your thoughts. How do we come back together? That should be a basic principle <laughs> that brings us all together. We got to stop the spending. We got to stop this this overreach of Remember, when the federal government is spending money, they're overreaching. They're doing everything they shouldn't be doing. It all starts with the money. If you can pull that back, love to hear your thoughts because we got to come together somehow and get back to that basic principle. We got to stop this debt. Well,
1: yeah, you're right. I started to say, you know, uh, President Trump's increase of the federal, uh, national debt or the, the amount that it increased under his term was only four years. You said eight. He only had four. And he's right. up there among the, the, the highest uh, in, in history in terms of the amount of money. And I think some of that can be attributed to the last year of his four years because there was all of that massive COVID spending, uh, you know, that was, that was kind of agreed upon by everybody. Uh, I think it was a mistake in retrospect, but a lot of that happened because of that. And I'll be honest with you, You know, I I find myself, like a lot of people, I think, Jim, um, overwhelmed by the number. We can't conceive of what $31 trillion is. We couldn't conceive of $10 trillion, which it was just a decade ago, uh, you know, at the rapid rate of, of increase of that debt, you know, the interest itself. I think people have just kind of written it off. They don't see it. For the threat that it is i think you just put it right it's a future tax on future generations but i think a lot of people have just said we're never paying that off how can we ever pay that off i mean why don't we just thumb our nose at the rest of the world to whom we owe that debt and say you know what you owe us a lot more anyway we save your butts all of these years um so you know what we're gonna wipe the slate clean that can't happen but i think that most constituents if you look at the midterms. What are the issues that have you most concerned? And you looked and you and you saw uh, inflation and you saw the state of the economy right now and you saw the border and you saw c- the crime rates and you saw abortion. I mean, where did spending come in and where did the national debt come in? It didn't even register. I think most people can't conceive of it. So they're just like, yeah, yeah, I've seen that debt clock. It's kind of funny to watch it spin uh on- online when you go to the national debt clock on that on that Web page. Uh, but they just kind of say, we're never going to pay that off, and so it's not a concern to, to most people. Most of my listeners don't talk about it. I don't talk about it, and, and you want to know why? A feeling, feeling of helplessness. I can't conceive of the number. How do we possibly still pay for all of our needs? How does the government meet all of our needs, all of our budgetary requirements for the military and for infrastructure and everything that we have to have, uh, and and begin to pay that down to the point where we're paying more than what the interest is accruing every day? Or every year to the point where the principle starts to come off I think people have just said it's not possible close your eyes don't think about it just get on with uh, you know with the you know with the daily business I really feel like people are just kind of overwhelmed by it that's why they don't even think about it
0: yeah I hope that's not the case because look uh, in 2010 I'll never forget uh, we had a general speak to Congress saying that our greatest th- threat to our country is not China not Iran not Iraq it's our national debt. And the minute our national debt gets to a point where we just can't deal with it anymore, we will be just like many of the other countries who who actually failed economically, uh, whether it was Greece or other countries who had to rely on every other country to be bailed out. And we're heading to that point. Does direction. that point
1: does that point exist, Jim? Help me out there because I like I'd, I'd like to know what that point is. I would have well, thought maybe it was $10 trillion. I would have thought maybe it was $20 trillion. Here we are, 30, and we haven't reached that point you just mentioned, once it gets to a point that it's so out of control that we become a failed economic state. What is that point? Is it $50 trillion? I, I legit don't know.
0: Well, it's funny. I remember, uh, and I always remember this, in 2012, the Comptroller General, a Democrat, appointed by Barack Obama, came to my office and said, and I was in Congress at the time, said, uh, I'm glad you're talking about this. He said, I believe that our country will be in a Greece-like situation within 20 years. Now, that was 2012, which would mean 2032. We're halfway there. Um, but he said, we will not be able to sustain it. And think about this, Bob. You know, interest rates are now going up. Every point, every one percentage point interest is, I think, $2 trillion to the national debt over 10 years. So, you know, we've just gone up two points, three points. We are now building the national debt even faster. Our total our total receipts do not cover our Medicare, Medicaid, social security and interest anymore. Um, and we had record receipts. So I think we're getting close. The problem is, as you said, nobody's talking about it. They just say, it doesn't matter. The 30 trillion, what is scary for me, and I was on the budget committee. It's one of the reasons I left Congress, because I said, nobody seems to care anymore. But the 30 trillion, about 5 trillion of it, is owed to other countries. 25 trillion is owed to Americans who buy treasury bills. Many of those treasury bills are in people's 401k accounts. They're in people's retirement accounts. When those treasury bills can't be paid anymore, then you've got a whole nother problem. It's not just the five or six trillion that we owe China and owe some of the other countries. It's the 20 to the 25 trillion that we owe ourselves. And if if you're one of those Americans who have those accounts in your uh, retirement, you're gonna lose your retirement account. That's how serious it could be. So I'm hoping we could start talking about it again, put it as a priority. Republicans should be talking about it. We don't talk about it enough. It's one of the things the American Greatness Fund and PAC and our podcast are gonna continue to talk about because we've lost sight Of one of the most dangerous things even though we have a whole bunch of other problems and it's that the national debt is going to continue to grow and grow and grow and at some point in time we're going to be helpless in trying to pay it back so do you see a point
1: right before we get there where either side of the political spectrum or you know both parties together come together and say we agree there's the tipping point you know, that Jim Renacey was talking about, where they we're not gonna be able to 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 ever overcome this, we're gonna start to lose all of our retirement savings, everything you're talking about. Do you think there is ever a point where they say, okay, we agree, here's what we do? Because again, there's that helpless feeling. It's like, how do we begin to address, even on a small scale, something that large in, in increments? Incrementally, how do we begin to address that? I don't know if that if that answer exists.
0: Well, I tell you one thing, and I used to say this when I was in Congress. Um Medicare, Medicaid, social security interests are swallowing up everything. And people will say, don't touch my Medicare, don't touch my social security, don't touch those things. So politicians will never talk about it until it's finally, I thought, by the way, I always chuckled in, in, in when I was in Washington, the only time we got anything done was when it was a crisis, um, whether it was debt ceiling, whether it was funding the government, always had to be crisis, crisis, crisis. This will be a crisis at some point in time. Politicians will not talk about it because the only way to fix it is to really look pretty close at Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security and interest. Now, I also say those are great programs. They should not be cut. No. But they, but they should be revised. So why does a billionaire, I'll never forget this, I had a billionaire who has since passed away, said to me, Renacy, I just signed up for Social Security today. This was about six or seven years ago. And I looked at him and said, you don't need it. And he goes, Yep but I paid into it, I'm gonna take it. We can revise many of these programs by just being more realistic and realizing that billionaires don't need Social Security, billionaires don't need Medicare. Now they did pay into it, but it's an insurance program, supplemental social insurance. <coughs> That's what Social Security is, it's an insurance program. And like I try and tell people, you pay insurance on your house for in in case of the need, and you never get that money back. We, we need to start looking at some of those things. Maybe when you're talking to your listeners, we could start talking about, let's reform some of these things. Let's make sure the programs stay in place. But there are some people that don't need and don't shouldn't qualify for some of these things. That'd be a great starting point before it becomes a serious problem. And maybe that's a way of bringing together the Tea Party movement again, which was really based on this debt.
1: Well, you know what? um, My response would be I I, I can't condemn or disagree with your idea um, because I don't have a better one. But you're going to have a problem when you start saying, Here's the arbitrary cutoff of what your assets are or your income is to the point where you don't get to collect on what you paid into. You don't get to collect your social security. You don't get to have Medicare coverage. You don't need Medicare coverage. You can you can provide yourself with all the medical care for a thousand lifetimes over with the amount of money you have. Who's going to decide what is that arbitrary cutoff point? And then second of all, um, is that ever justified, considering the fact that we don't even do that with taxes? I mean, you know, this is what the left always says, you make too much money, you've got to pay more of your money in taxes to help everybody else out. And in my view, I think it's got to be something where it's voluntary, I guess maybe is the the only word, but we need to appeal to those who are in those, you know, uh, privileged classes, you know, the millionaires and multimillionaires and billionaires, appeal to them to say, you know, here are options Um, Can you please consider maybe, you know, not taking services and not taking funds, even though you have paid into them, even though they're part of the public, uh, you know, domain, if you will, because you had, you know, they were taken from you, you know, through your earnings. Can you think about what's in the best interest of the country and help us keep these programs solvent for those who do need it? It almost has to be voluntary because when it's not I think we start to run into, you know, how much of our how much how much of our liberty are we willing to sacrifice here by saying you paid it but you can't have it? That's a real hard ask.
0: Well, remember, and the only thing I go back to: you buy insurance for a car, you buy insurance <clears throat> for a house, um, you never collect on it because it's it's protection for the safety net, and that's really what some of these programs are. So we really do need to think about it. I'll give you one more statistic, then I want to move on, but. Statistically, you could tax the millionaires and billionaires 100% of their earnings, 100% of their earnings. And we did this when I was on the Ways and Means Committee. We did this calculation. Yeah, and I we Still that. can't fix the deficit and debt.
1: Nope, not even close. not even. Yeah, and that's the thing. The left always says raise, you know, pay your fair share, pay your fair share. That they could pay more than their fair share. Like you said, everything they have, and it still doesn't even come close uh, to, to fixing the debt or even uh, uh, the deficit. So I completely agree.
0: So, let's talk about look, we just got through thanksgiving it's It's a great time. I know I had my family with me. People get together with their families. They probably talk politics. I guarantee you um and at least I know that happened in my household but also across the country. You know, Trump announcing right before that also added one of the talking points for uh for the discussion around the Thanksgiving table in some households, not all, but there is. Uh, Those that uh, realize that uh, President Trump is in this now, there are some that want DeSantis to jump in. There's going to be others jumping in as well. Um, There are Republican parties. I just saw an article today in Politico, state Republican parties who were saying, we don't want Trump. Uh, Parties, these are total state parties like Pennsylvania who are upset about what happened in Pennsylvania where he endorsed two candidates who one lost the Senate, one lost the governorship in, in, a, in a state that probably could have uh, could have had a Republican senator and could have had a Republican governor. So some states are upset. We've got this issue. I heard you say this earlier. It's one of the things that the American greatness believes. It's the MAGA movement, not the man. But we're continuing to hear these uh, many individuals who say it's Trump, Trump, Trump. You probably hear it on your show. We got to support Trump. We got to do this. You know, anybody who doesn't support Trump is, is not a, you know, is not a patriot. All of these things. I just want to hear your thoughts. What are you hearing? What are your thoughts? And what do you think?
1: Well, I'm hearing the same thing. And I'm seeing and hearing a lot of, um, strong conservatives who were MAGA conservatives, who were red hat wearers, Trump sign waivers the whole way through, who are now saying we can't do this again. And and here's the reason why. And they're losing followers on their Twitter accounts. I'm losing listeners because there are some people who don't want to hear that. It is all about the man and not just the movement. And I'll be honest with you, I've got a problem with it. Um, I've said this a million times, and I'll say it again. I will never, ever be able to... Um, to repay Donald Trump for what he did for this country. I mean, we owe him a debt that will be forever. He stopped Hillary Clinton from getting to the White House, being the third term and a worse term than either one of Barack Obama's first two terms, and probably a fourth one. Uh He stopped that. Nobody else in that field in 2016 could have. Just by winning, he did something we can never repay. And then to actually have tremendous success in so many ways, uh, so many terrific, uh, so much terrific legislation that he helped push and get passed through the Congress, orders that were specifically, uh, you know, beneficial to us, getting us out of things like the Paraclimas, Paris Climate Accord and, and other things. So, I mean, he did great things as president. But, but the reality of the situation is it's a different moment now. And there is so much baggage that he is carrying around. And some will say, well, it's not his fault. It's the deep state's fault. And it's the establishment's fault. And some of that's true. But there are a lot of self-inflicted gunshot wounds as well. There's a lot of things that he has done and says that make it very, very hard for people to push behind him and think that he can win. His unpopularity is so deep. It's not even just the numbers. You know, we always get, you know, approval versus disapproval. But his disapproval isn't just like that's malleable where he changes a thing or two and he can get above water. The dis- those who disapprove hate him so much, unlike anything I've ever seen in my relatively middle-aged life. Um, so I'm ready to move on with America First that Donald Trump built with MAGA that Donald Trump invented and created and, and brought to the forefront in a pride and a restoration of American greatness that, that I think a lot of people didn't realize existed, but in a new messenger. And, um, you know, whether it's Ron DeSantis or whether it's Tim Scott or whether it's, you know, uh, Christy Noem or I mean, there's a whole bunch of people that might be, uh, you know, really strong, viable people. I want to see a robust 2024 field, and, and Trump is part of it. And make no mistake, Jim, and I'm sure you feel the same way. If Donald Trump emerges from another big pack as the nominee, I'll get behind him. I will absolutely fight like heck to keep a Democrat out of the White House. Look at what we've already seen for the, just the two years of Biden. Um, I'll do everything I can for Donald Trump if he's our nominee. But at this moment in time, in November of 2022, as I see and as I listen and as I watch things happening and playing out, I'm, 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 I'm for the field. You know, back in the, back in the Tigers heyday and the Masters, they would say you have Tiger or the field, Tiger or anybody else is going to win it. I'm in the field right now. I want somebody else to win this other than President Trump at this moment in time. Now, if he emerges, like I said, I will be wearing the hat and pushing and, and campaigning and doing everything I can for him. But for now, I'm in the field and I want to see somebody else be the
0: messenger. It's funny you say that because I 100% agree that, uh, look, we, we owe him so much for jumping in this race. That's one of the reasons why I endorsed him in 2016 when nobody else was endorsing him because I wanted change. I wanted something different. He brought that and he stopped Hillary Clinton, probably was the only person that could stop Hillary Clinton at the time uh, because he pulled Democrats over to his side, especially many who believe they had been forgotten. So from that standpoint, I truly do thank him and appreciate what he's done. Uh, but I got to tell you, even on my social media, if I say anything negative, about Trump, I just get a swarm. Oh yeah. And it's, it's amazing because, you know, he does have his faults. And we, we, uh, you know, I posted a, that post on Facebook where in four years he increased the debt by $8.2 trillion. A lot of mega Republicans don't understand that, but he was actually part of that because he didn't do anything to stop it. And, he, and you're right. He did add some COVID stuff, but those are the kind of things that. We just have to reflect on, but we also have to reflect on, and you said it best, the self-imposed wounds. He does, he has yeah. self-imposed wounds. And, but here's, the, here's one of the concerns. If the field is big and there's seven or eight people running for president, he will win the primary because he does hold that 32 to 35%. He doesn't hold 51% anymore of the party. There was a time he probably controlled 80%, but he's at about yeah. 32%. The, the more people in the race, the more opportunity for him to win. If he does win, I will 100% support him, but I will also tell you this, and I'll bet you you'll agree with this. He's the greatest magnet for democratic voters to come out. And that is going to be probably our biggest problem in the 20, in the general election in 2024.
1: Yeah. I, I, I concur, Jim. And you know, um, <clears throat> I, I think the other, you said he's got his faults and, and his supporters. Uh, again, of which I am one in the right circumstances. His supporters don't want to hear about those. And here's the real difficult thing. I understand why they feel that way. Because he was treated so unfairly by the press like no one has ever been treated before because of the collusion investigation, you know, the nonsense with Mueller, the two impeachments, the J6 committee, nine prosecutors, zero defense attorneys, all up there to smear him on J6. I mean, all of those things, he's been treated so unfairly by those others who will point out his faults. That's why so many of his most ardent supporters look at us and say, you know, we don't need to hear it from you too. You know, can can we lay off his faults because we already get them from the other side enough? I get that. I do. And I also feel one other way, and I don't know how much time you have left, but I'll say one other thing. I feel bad for the guy because he I truly believe he was robbed of his second term. I will never not believe that after all the evidence that I've seen presented, he was it was stolen from him. And there's a element I think of a lot of us who just feel justice needing to be served. Want him to get his second term back just to say, you stole it. You tried to keep me out and you couldn't. I'm back anyway. There's a lot of people, I promise, feel like they just want justice to be done. He got the votes. He should have been the second term president and they took it from him. So let's let's write that wrong. And I think that's going to be a real, real big factor in this whole thing. too.
0: 100 percent agree. I hope we get a field that is MAGA Republicans. I hope we get a field that is America first Republicans. There will be some that aren't. Uh, but I hope we get enough that there is a choice. And if it, Donald Trump is a choice, I will be 100% behind him as well. So uh, these are the things that uh, are gonna be coming up over the next couple of months and weeks, and uh, many of the things we'll be talking about on it. Well, again, I wanna thank you, Bob, for being on the show. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, this was a good discussion. It's gonna be the discussions we're gonna be talking about at the American Greatness Fund and AmericanGreatnessPack.com. Uh, please, listeners, if you're interested in what you saw today and and what uh, some of the things we'll be talking about in the future, please go to the AmericanGreatnessPack.com or the AmericanGreatnessFund.com. Look up uh, what our podcasts are, where we're going to be going, what we're going to be talking about, and many of the issues as we try and move forward with the MAGA movement and the America First movement. Um, over the next two years as we move toward 2024. Thanks for watching the America First War Room. I'm your host, American Greatness Chairman Jim Renace.